Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series in the book of Song of Solomon, which is one of the most interesting books of the Bible, and we think that you will find it interesting too. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. We've been covering the Song of Songs, that's our summer series this year, and Doug has divided it up into three parts, three, three different ways of looking at it. Our first week, we went over it as the zenith of wisdom, so one of Solomon's wisdom books. And then last week, we started looking at it through the lens of Hebrew love poetry, and Doug went through um, the secret of attraction. And then in a few weeks, he's going to go through it looking at an allegory between Christ and the church and that relationship. So this morning, we're going to go and look at the power of clarity and specifically in the communication in communication of marriage. So it's important, I've just said, communication and marriage, that, that doesn't always apply to everyone. And so I, I want to make sure that we don't compartmentalize as we tend to do when we read a text. Me included, I do it just as much. But the Bible is timeless. It applies for all people for all time. So whether you're happily married, unhappily married, single, want to get married, single, never want to get married, like there's something about it that's for us. The truth of God's word matters. And I have this this issue when we were going through the book of Leviticus, I think a year or two ago, where I'm like, why are we studying all these old laws? Like, I don't need to know when to put my tent up or how often to go to the priest if I have a boil. Like, this doesn't apply for me. But that's the wrong kind of a p- approach when we look at God's word. The real, the correct way to look at it is, what can I learn about the heart of God as I read his words? What is, why is this in the Bible? Like, Paul, a great man of God, he wasn't married. We have no indication that he was married. But he preached the word of God, and he probably would have had this book to preach, right? So this is in the Bible for a reason. And so God has something for all of us this morning. And then the other thing is, what is the hope he has for me and my relationships? So the last point that I want to make before I start is I'm no expert. My husband and I, Chris, was just playing. We've been married for just about 11 years, and we've just hit the tip of the iceberg for all that God has planned for our marriage and our relationship. And as Christian author Paul Tripp wrote, I really like this. He said, for some reason, I seem to be drawn to write about the things I'm not very good at. Marriage is a prime example. So for me, I seem to always speak on topics that I'm in the nitty-gritty of or I'm like struggling with, and God uses it to work on my heart. So clarity, communication, I need this just as much as the next person. And at times, mine and Chris's communication has made me feel like I live in the twilight zone. Like, how in the world did you get that from what I said? Like, I spoke really clearly. I got my point across. Like, why did, how did, how did we get to this point? Why do you even think that I, that I could have even said that? I mean, I thought I was clear. And we have, Chris and I both have needs and desires, and we have hurts and successes we're trying to share with one another. And it's important that we're always speaking clearly. We're not using a code or ulterior motives, but we want a clear heart and a clear mind. And it seems so easy back when we were first dating and we're together, we were so young and in love and nothing was hindering our relationship. We were just so on fire and 
when, if you were here a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of sharing and I talked about um, a fallout from some of the decisions I made as I had an internship in college and I withdrew the semester. And so I lost that internship, but the Lord blessed me with another one that following summer then sent me to Altoona, Pennsylvania to be an engineering intern. And that's where I met my husband. Chris actually was there. So even through my like wrong choices that he made, God directed my steps and was like, here's your husband. So I guess it worked out okay in that respect. But because of that, Chris was living in Pennsylvania. I was living in Tennessee. So all of our dating relationship and part of our engagement was spent apart. We didn't see each other very often. I had to finish school and then um, he ended up moving to Ohio and then it took some time before I moved there. So all of our communication was like over the phone, email and text to one another. And recently I was going back through some emails to get rid of them and I found our own version of the song that we had written to each other and I wanted to share with you. Now keep in mind we're both engineers so like our brains are kind of strange how we communicate love to one another. So get your barf bags ready because it's a good one. So we had been emailing about, I don't know, something we were trying to figure out. And Chris ends his email, I love you. I say, I love you more. And he says, I don't know if that's even possible. And I said, it is. And it grows every day so you'll never catch up. And Chris says, well, mine's growing too, though. South America thought that they had a solar eclipse last week, but nope, my love just blotted out the sun. And I said, well, this is where it gets good. I said, well, NASA has begun to discuss their budget for next year for the space program, but it doesn't include money for shuttle flights or space exploration because they're going to use my love for you to power the rockets to space. And I said, and not even that, my love is projected in five years to be so strong that they're not going to need electricity or fuel for cars because my love will power it. And then Chris said back, um, I've been storing up all my love energy in the center of the earth, hoping they would start to use it through geothermic heat energy, but I better get it out because it's going to make the world explode because it's so strong. So that was, yes, that was how we (laughs) talked to each other then. We don't do that anymore. We've grown and matured in our way in which we communicate. Um, But it's certainly changed and we've had to figure out our life Um, So we dated long distance, and then we get married, and two weeks later, my boss says, hey, I want you to travel, and two weeks of travel turns into every single week for over a year and a half of me being gone the weekdays, the days during the week, and except for the weekends, and us trying to figure out how to become one and communicate and then come back together and then separate and come back together. And for the first one to two months of that, we fought every single weekend about who knows what? I don't know. Probably about dumb stuff. Like, I didn't say that. Did you say that? Well, your tone said this. Well, you looked at me funny. Like, probably just thought about stuff that didn't even really matter. At the time, I'm sure we valued being right more than we valued each other. And it ate up our time. Um, So we had to get to this place. Thankfully, the Lord intervened in both of our hearts. And we were like, enough is enough. Like, we're wasting all of the little bit of time we have together, just nitpicking one another. And It was important that we were clear about what we wanted. Like, we both have thoughts. We both have desires, opinions. We needed to get back on the same page. Um, We needed to meet each other's needs, 
not hurt each other and not get hurt in the process, right? Like that's kind of all that's happening. You're two different individuals with all these different things and we're trying to meld them together to become one, especially in communication. And so our text this morning is going to give us several ways, several pointers from this couple of like hopes for our, for our communication and in a way in which to do it in a loving way that's going to push us towards our actual purpose. So we'll begin by going in the Song of Psalms in chapter 2. I'm going to read the verses. It's not a super long section. I'll read it all, and then we'll go back and look at a few different verses. Verse 1 says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen, my beloved, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful aunt, come with me. My dove is in the clefts of the rocks, in the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged hills. So we're seeing this kind of back and forth for them. They're they're very encouraging to one another. And starting right at verse 1 and 2, Doug has has mentioned this. She says, I'm a flower among many other flowers. So so she's saying, like, I'm pretty, but there's a lot of other flowers around. There's a, a lot of other pretty women around. And he takes what she says and he elevates it. And he says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. So he doesn't just say, yeah, you're pretty among other pretty flowers. He says, no, I only have eyes for you. And every other woman is like a thorn compared to you. He takes this opportunity and just like these simple statements that she's making to speak life into her, to plant seeds in her heart. And by her and by him investing into her, he's investing into himself too, into the relationship. Because Matthew 19, 5 and 6 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer two, but one flesh. This means investing into each other with life-giving words builds up the couple because you're now one. So it's not it might seem like, hey, I'm putting a lot into this. Yeah, I'm putting a lot into not just the other person, but back into myself. Like, this is only going to benefit me also, benefit the life of our relationship. And we're going to see this as we continue to go through, that they're, they're not always going to agree. Doug's going to go over conflict next week. But they're working towards this life-giving rhythm in their relationship. So in verse 3, she comes back to him and she says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Right. 
So she compliments him right back. She's going to build him up and she's going to say, I find my rest in you. I delight to sit in your shade. I feel safe. I find my home. She can let her guard down, right? Like the idea would be that Chris is the person that I can cry with, I can laugh with, I can struggle with, and then he's safe. I can come home and be like, like, I can just let, let all of the things, you know, like, come out good and bad, and he's going to be like, hey, you're safe here. We've built a safe relationship. We have trust together. And then the other thing she's doing when she compliments him is she's like squeezing his muscles. She's complimenting him as a man. She's saying, you're my protector. You stand out among the rest. Again, she's using these opportunities to invest right back into him, invest into their lives as a couple. So in verses 8 and 9, she says it again, too, when she describes him. Listen, my beloved, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. So even the way that she describes him coming towards her, she's not scared or nervous. He's excited as he comes to her. She's, his movements aren't harsh or frightening. She describes him as a young stag, so he's attractive to her. She's looking forward to him coming, and he's quick to come to her, right? And she describes him here as her beloved, as she did in verse 3, because that's her special name for him. And it carries a weight in their relationship. It has meaning. Harvey and Stuart, our boys, they have discovered our real names. We're not just mom and dad to them. And they find it really funny to call Chris, to call Chris, Chris instead of daddy. They think it's hilarious to be like, oh, Chris. And we're like, boys, do you understand? You are the only two kids on this planet that get to call daddy, daddy. Like, there's not another kid that will say, Dad, and it refers to your dad. It's special. It's a relationship. And it's the same with husband and wives. Like, there's not another man on this planet than I can speak to like I do Chris or make up goofy names, you know, pet names with him. And that's the same with our relationships, our friends. Like, people have nicknames, and those usually speak of something that you've experienced together or an intimacy. And that's what this couple is doing. And they don't waste any of their communication. These aren't just flippant comments that they're making. Even in their names, they're saying like, I'm communicating love to you when I call you this. I'm speaking um, as trust grown over time, right? And our names for people and the way we speak should never be a way to poke fun, right? It should always be wanting to give life. So back in verse four, after she, they've talk to each other. They've given these compliments back and forth. She goes on and she says, let me lead me to, let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. So, right. So a banquet is a big gathering of people. Maybe it includes food, a birthday party, whatever. It's a big banquet with a bunch of people. So in mine and Chris's relationship, Chris honestly thrives in going into situations with lots of people where he knows no one. He thinks that's exciting. And I, on the other hand, would like to stay home under, you said popcorn, like under my popcorn blanket. I have one. My coworker made it for me. It's like, I love popcorn. Um, And that's what I'd rather do is sit under a blanket and not be around a bunch of people that I don't know. But in this text, she's saying like, you can take me anywhere and I'm with you and I feel safe with you. And then The other thing she says is that let his banner over me be love, right? So she's saying that when he, when she takes, when he takes her out, he, she belongs to him. 
She's saying like, I am his and he loves me. And he's saying like, attention everyone, like this is the person for me. This is who I wanna be with. And this is important for us to do. Like husbands, when you take your wife out, are you proud that she's walking next to you? Are you happy that she's the one that has your arm, your hand, that you're walking with her? Or wives, when you speak about your husband, when, you, um, when he's not around, like, are you glad to be with him when he's there? And then what about when he's not around? Are you giving life to him when he's not even in the room? Proverbs 31, 23 says, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders, which is saying her husband has gained the respect because of what she said about him, which I know is hard to do, right? We get in these conversations and we crack and we make jokes. And I know after like, it's been a while, I have get with the girls and the conversation turns to men. It's very easy for us to kind of nitpick or tear down our spouse. It's just a tempting thing like we struggle with, right? And so, but what it should happen is that if Chris walks into a room, the things that go through people's minds should be like, this is a man of good character and his wife speaks of that. I should be lifting Chris up no matter if he's there or not, not poking fun or tearing him down, right? And this is hard. This is something that we struggle to do. I need to be seeking godly wisdom from other women, and men need to be seeking the wisdom. We should be building each other up. But poking, like making fun of the other person is not a way to solve our problem as a way to cope, right? We need to speak clearly. We can't be blurting everything out, but we can't be stuffing. And Doug said in the journal, if you have it, he wrote, clarity is kindness, brutal clarity is just plain cruel. And the result of those things, those comments or those words leaves holes in our relationship, which leads us, we're going to skip over to verse 15, where he's speaking and he says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyard that is in bloom. So first off, it says it's our vineyard. So it speaks of their relationship and it's in bloom. He's like, hey, we've got something good happening right now. Like it's going to grow fruit. It's like blossoming. It's springtime, which they talk, the references earlier in the verse speak of spring is upon them. Love is, love is in the air, essentially. When we think of foxes, those imply something that's taken up root in your, your spouse's heart or in, in any kind of relationship. You, we've all been there where we've let something kind of run amok in our heart that's going to make a mess of our relationship, right? It could be the product of a joke or a snippy comment that was made, maybe passive or unforgiveness. And we've been around other people when they've had these things, especially like another couple where I like hear them and I'm like, they should probably go home and talk because there's something happening there. They're giving each other the cold shoulder, right? And we have to exercise wisdom here with how we're speaking because what may seem like a joke if left unchecked, can build into something more. It can turn into a hurt, to bitterness, to resentment. And now that hurt is buried deep and it's gonna connect itself and attach itself to things that are completely unrelated. And so all of a sudden, this stuff's just gonna leak out onto the other person or it's gonna be like, where did this come from? And it's where a little fox or a little like hurt was left to grow and to cause problems. When we first moved to Connecticut, we didn't have our kids yet. We're both working at the time. And one night Chris is doing the dishes and I'm like, thank you for doing the dishes. That was really kind of you. And he's like, you're welcome. I'll do the dishes as long as you're working. I was like, what? Are you saying that you're only going to help out around the house as long as I'm working? What about when I'm not working? What, what? I was like, no, Chris wouldn't say that. He didn't really mean that. 
Or maybe he did. Maybe he is a jerk. Maybe that is what he meant. And I'm like going through this thing. He did not mean that at all. He obviously corrected himself. I like misheard. He misspoke, right? We righted that wrong. But if I would let even something as small as that stick in my heart, I've just like, I imagine like a wall. There's no wall. And then I like set a brick down and it one thing and then another comment and I build another brick and another brick until another brick until I've built up this wall between us and I've allowed it to to separate us right and instead we communicated about it and it was funny well not funny at the time but funny now is I actually got laid off from my job the week later but Chris still kept doing dishes so it's fine we we worked it out but the point is like we I didn't want those things to to take hold of us and something as small as that can can wreak havoc in our relationship if it's not addressed, if it's just stuffed. So, and the last point I want to make about this verse 15 is the male is the one that's stating this comment. He's the one that says, catch for us the foxes, the little ones that, that ruin our vineyards. And so husbands and wives are both responsible for their actions, the problems in their marriage, the successes in their marriage. I'm just as responsible as Chris. However, the man of the household, he's been charged to live and to love like Christ. In Ephesians 5.25-29, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So he's saying like, we have a good thing going here, and I want to make sure that it lasts. And so I'm going to lead you in this fight of a good fight of let's keep these things out. Let's grow fruit in our relationship. So then if you flip back a verse, we're going to look at verse 14. She, they've gone back through this conversation, and, it, and she's hiding. We don't know why. Verse 14 says, My dove in the clefts of the rocks and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So she's hidden at this moment, but he's not, hesit- he's not frustrated by her hesitancy. He's willing to be calm and draw her out. He's kind with what he says. Let, your, um, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He's like, come on out. Like, I'm here. I'll be patient. And I remember a friend saying that she was like an onion with many layers. And her husband responded by saying, like, I'm going to help you peel back those layers. He's saying, I'm willing to invest and build the trust to help you get to that place, Right. And the other thing that he's not doing here, he just remains kind. He's not projecting any sort of feelings on her, right? And this is something that I struggle with a lot um, in life, but in our relationship, is that I project my feelings. So I'll get feelings of anxiety or worry or fear or whatever it is. And then I take those and I internalize them and I hold them and then they compound onto one another and then eventually I just like project it onto Chris into whatever situation, right? Which is not fair for him at all. Number one, he has no idea that I've just projected this. It creates a false scenario. So it's not even, the situation that we're in isn't even the same as what I've just stuck him in. And two, he's starting from a losing position. Like I stuck him in that and it's not fair. In the end, we're both gonna lose, 
we're both going to struggle to be on the same page because I've just set us up both for failure by internalizing, not being clear, and not speaking it. Neither of us are mind readers. We may know each other really well, but unless I'm using my words, I'm communicating, like we're just going to be stuck in this spot. He's not going to know really what's going on. Um, so the, other, the last point of verse 14 is as he's speaking to her, he's not assuming anything of her. He maintains his life and life-giving words. You can see he's just being kind. He's very consistent. And he doesn't say, well, you're probably hiding because you're always stressed or you always have this problem. He doesn't say any of those things. He creates a space for her to process whatever is going on. And they don't share that, but they he says, hey, we're going to process this together. And then because we just read in 15, he says, we're going to catch these foxes together. We're going to keep these things from taking root. He still believes the best of her. Heather Holman writes, Finally, believing the best about people is a way of extending God's grace to people. Grace refers to the unmerited favor of God. He loves us despite what we do. As a Christian, I know God continues to bless me and love me in the midst of my bad choices or failures. When I extend this mindset towards others, I reflect God's grace to them, which is ultimately the goal here. This spurring one another on, this husband and wife, other relationships, it's encouraging each other, as Hebrews 10, 24 said. So it's not just for outside relationships, it's for our marriage to encourage one another on towards Christ, because that love and good deeds that it talks about flows back into your marriage and flows into others as you live your life for the gospel. Um, I shared a couple weeks ago that I had often, like when I prayed, Oh, help me to be quick to listen and slow to speak, that I would pray it for like my coworkers and friends. But I, people at home, my husband, my kids, I wasn't praying that. Well, like, aren't they still? Shouldn't I be praying also for them? Tim Keller wrote the book, or he wrote the book, The Meaning of Marriage, and this is a, a spot from it. He said, you want to help your spouse become the person God wants him or her to be. When two Christians who fully understand this stand before the minister all decked out in their wedding finery, they realize they're not just playing dress up. What they're saying is that someday they're going to be standing not before the minister, but before the Lord, and they will turn to each other without spot and blemish, and they hope to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servants. Over the years, you have lifted one another up to me. You sacrificed for one another. You held one another up with prayer and thanksgiving. You, um, you confronted each other, you rebuked each other, you hugged and you loved each other and continually pushed each other towards me. And now look at you, you're radiant. Our words literally have the ability to push someone to the heart of God. We have the power in a marriage relationship as a husband and wife to elevate our spouse towards their goal of becoming more like Christ. And that means it is vital we invest into each other's hearts until the life of our relationship. We have to be patient with one another. If we're struggling, we're hiding. We never can assume or project onto them. We have to work hard to keep anything from taking up root, and we have to keep the foxes out. We need to be proud of each other and thankful for each other. So how do we communicate all these things all the time? Because this seems like a lot of work to do. Like, I'm flawed just as much as the next person, I'm being sanctified the same time. Chris is being sanctified, which means like I'm digging up all those things that have taken up root in my heart. Same times he is. Sometimes that clashes. So how do I keep my heart in check? 
Or what if I'm working on me and I'm working on being clear and my needs don't get met? How do I maintain a closeness with God and a loving relationship with my spouse if those things aren't being met? Prayer is how we're going to do that. Prayer is crucial for our communication to work effectively and for us to find a resting place in the process because sometimes it's a long and hard road in our relationships, whether they're in marriage or something outside. So that means we need to be praying for ourselves, praying for our spouses, praying for our words, praying for our friends, our neighbors, our kids, coworkers. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Our spouse is included in that. They are part of the Lord's people. Stormy O'Martin has authored several books, and I've read any of them. That's like Power Praying Wife, Power Praying Husband, Grown Kids, Young Kids, Neighbors. I don't know. She has like 20 books. And they're all about um, how important prayer is. And she talks about, because I have the one for Power Praying Wife, she talks first about how her and her husband really struggled as a couple until she began to pray for him and align herself with him and first surrender her own heart before she began speaking to her husband. And she said, I found that prayer is the only thing that always works. The safeguard you have with prayer is that you have to go through God to do it. This means you can't get away with a bad attitude, wrong thinking, or incorrect motives. When you pray, God reveals anything in your personality that is resistant to his order of things. And then she goes on to say, prayer is not a means of gaining control over your spouse. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's laying down all claim to power in and of yourself and relying on God's power to transform you, your spouse, your circumstances, and your marriage. This power is not given to wield like a weapon in order to beat back an unruly beast. It's a gentle tool of restoration appropriated through the prayers of a spouse who longs to do right more than be right and to give life more than get even. It's a way to unite God's power into your spouse's life for the greatest blessing, which is ultimately yours too. We need God at the center of our relationship if we're going to make it work. If we're going to make any sort of communication work, we need to be aligned with God's heart to speak love and to spur one another on towards Christ. So our our thought or questions this morning is, when was the last time you prayed for your spouse or prayed consistently I know when I'm consistently praying for Chris, it does wonders for our relationship. It does wonders for my heart. My heart becomes soft towards him. My heart becomes more forgiving. It shifts my desire for like, I want change right now to like, I have peace. And my relationship with God is closer, and then that becomes the main thing, right? It realigns our priorities to keep the main thing the main thing. And a husband and wife can do such incredible things for the kingdom of God. That's why they're brought together in that relationship is for the kingdom. Everything is for God's glory. And the enemy knows this. It's the reason why we sweat the small things. It's the reason why we fight over the things that don't matter. Like who's doing the dishes or whatever, because it trips us up to wreak havoc in our relationship. That's why prayer is so important in every aspect of our life not just in communication. It brings the freedom we've given and it brings us back to how we were created and who we were made to be. Like we have already have that like glimpse of future glory. We have available to us what was available to Adam and Eve in the garden before sin. And 
All those little things can cloud that, but prayer allows us to see clearly what we can really be and what our spouse and what others can really be. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We hope that today's message was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org.